So we're going to continue in our series of the parables. And remember, we've been looking at the parables that Jesus has taught through uh, the Gospels. And, uh, and a lot of them deal with the kingdom, the kingdom of God. And uh, the beginning, the first ones we looked at just kind of talked about the reality of the kingdom, that the kingdom of God exists and is in this world. Uh, that, so the reality of the kingdom, but also uh, how does somebody enter the kingdom of God was kind of the next section that we looked at, just various principles and, and parables. Uh, then uh, we're in the middle of a, a subsection on what does life in the kingdom look like? Basically, how should we live? Uh, the last two weeks, uh, Todd has preached on the unmerciful servant. Obviously, life in the kingdom involves forgiveness. Uh, also, the feast and the banquet that life in the kingdom is, uh, has the idea and the notion of humility and not seeking the place of honor. Uh, both addressing what, li- what uh, life in the kingdom looks like. Today, we're going to do one more. One more uh, section about what life in the kingdom is. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 13, go to verse 21. Would you stand with me? Just This is our expression of our submission to the word of God. He is speaking uh, in his word, and we long to hear from him. So someone in the crowd said to him, said to Jesus, Teacher, Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, sorry, he didn't say that. Uh, Man, uh, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool. This night your soul is required of you, and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Let's pray. Uh, God, uh, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have given it to us. And God, I pray that even now, as uh, by the power of the Spirit, that your word would go out with power. Father, I pray for those in this room that uh, may not know you by faith. Uh, God, would you draw them to a saving knowledge of Christ? God, for uh, uh, so many in this room that need to hear this message, myself included, God, that we build our lives over and around the abundance of things. God, challenge us with that. Help us to see the folly in that. Uh, God, draw us uh, to you in the midst of these things. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. 
So anytime you have a summer vacation and you end up like at a beach or a tourist city, uh, one of the best stops of uh, that particular destination is the ice cream shop, right? Uh, And, you know, you go into the ice cream shop and you realize a notion of life that more is not always better, right? Because, you know, the single is actually two scoops. I haven't quite figured out the math on this, but the double is like three or four scoops, and the the double is only about 50 cents more than the single, and you're sitting there as a dad. Like, that is a bad use of money to only get the single when I can pay 50 more cents and get real return on my investment. We're all getting the double. And you come out of the ice cream shop, and you have like a bowl like this. We gave up on cones a long time ago. But you have a bowl like this, and you start into that, and you realize more is not always better because, well... I'm going to finish everything I bought, right? Uh, only a good dad would do that. And, and you realize halfway through, that was a mistake. You should have just got the small serving and, you know, saved your 50 cents and get less for your money. Because there's something in us that says, the more I can get for, you know, a little bit of more money or, or the more I can get in this life, the better off I'm going to be. But that's not always the case. And there's this sense where Jesus is speaking about the idea of that that mindset, that more is always better. Or covetousness, the thing I don't have is better than the things I do have. The things around me are better. And and so that word, when Jesus says, guard yourself against covetousness, the word... uh, Some translations take it to greed or greediness, but it's this consuming ambition or grasping. So guard yourself about being consumed with getting more and more and grasping after that. So Jesus gives us this warning in verse 15, and uh, in verse 15, he said to them, take care, be on your guard against all covetousness that consuming ambition or grasping, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So Jesus knows our hearts. Jesus knows the human heart when it's turned away from him or even kind of uh, uh, broken in some way that we are going to chase after more and more and more stuff. We're going to define life by what we have. We're going to say abundance equals the good life. And he says, guard yourself against that. And so in this, we see this enticing pull of abundance that there's this kind of this draw uh, to having more and more. And that's why we must guard against it. And that idea of guarding against from verse 15, it, this word in the Greek is, is uh, used to describe a watchman. Uh, a watchman that they would post on the, on the, ex, the, uh, the wall or the, the outskirts of a city to look out. For enemies as they approach, look for attacks against that city. And so when Jesus is saying, guard yourself, it's this idea of opening our eyes and in looking for and watching for ways that greed, coveting, uh, this, this need for more and more stuff starts to take over and even say that we define life 
according to that. Because Jesus plainly lays it out in that verse that life does not consist in the abundance of our possessions. Yet, there's somewhat of a nearly universal idea to think that more and more is better, bigger is better, uh, and it's a pathway to, uh, to happiness. And that's why Jesus says, guard yourself against it. Life does not consist in our abundance, but our hearts tell us it does. So the word of God is saying something, our hearts are saying the opposite, and then culture doesn't help, right? You know, we are bombarded by uh, messages that say you don't have the stuff you need or the stuff you should have, and you need to get more and more of it. So this is the parable that Jesus uses, and he's proving his point of the idea of coveting and having it, or greed, the, the idea of more and more, having it start to control our life. Well, he began this teaching not in chapter 12, but he actually started in chapter 11. And so if you go back to chapter 11, the Pharisees come to him, and they're trying to trip him up like normal. Uh, but in verse 39, it's interesting that the Lord said to him, one of the Pharisees, now you Pharisees cleanse, now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. Basically, that the religious leaders of the time, they looked good on the outside. They did things to be seen and to clean themselves outwardly. But Jesus is saying, you've got an inward problem inside, in your heart, in your motives, in your mind, in your desires. Your heart is full of greed and wickedness. And so when we start to talk about the idea of abundance and wealth and having more and more and, and all of those different things, we can, st- we can start thinking about the external, but Jesus is like, uh-uh, this is an internal deal that leads to external uh, actions and behaviors. It's an internal struggle. So the question is, where's your heart when it comes to stuff? Where's your motives when it comes to stuff in abundance? So the easy way to think of this is wealth and possessions. But if you're a student in here, you're like, hey, I don't have a job. You know, like, okay, I'm off the hook. I don't have, you know, I get 10 bucks a, you know, a month or something like that. But, but what else do we run as currency in life? It's not just dollars and cents. For this guy, it was grain. It was crops, Right? Uh, you know, you could also think of abundance in terms of social capital, friends, popularity, your, your idea of influence, and do you have any or not, how many followers you have. I guess we are now not just students, uh, but how many likes you get when you post something. You might run the, the currency of your appearance, You know, if I just look better, if I just have uh, this brand of clothing, if I have these things, it might change from clothes to cars to houses to whatever. The thought goes something like this. If I have more of fill in the blank, if I have an abundance of that, then my life will be good. That's the logic that we kind of run through our mind. And Jesus is saying to us, life does not consist in abundance. 
It does not uh, consist of your and mine abundance. So how do we guard against that? How do we guard against wanting more and more and more, wanting and seeing these things? So just a really easy question would be, what's the thing in your mind that you feel like you need more of to make your life either more satisfying or good? What's the thing you feel like you need more of? And if you start running that question through your mind, you're going to probably come up with a few things that in your mind you feel like you need or else life is not good. And then we're, in a sense you start to tiptoe or, or kind of tip towards understanding the things that start to control your heart and your mind. So how do you guard against it? You could say, you know what, I'm not going to desire that thing anymore. Or I'm not going to, do, I'm not going to chase after that thing anymore. And then it's all on you and your willpower. That's not a gospel answer. The gospel answer is to see it and to humble yourself before the Lord. The life of the kingdom is that of humility and that of repentance. To take an honest look at your heart's desires. It's going to take some time to uncover those things. But you speak the reality of your desires and your beliefs, mistaken beliefs, to God. God, I think my life will be better with more, even though you say it won't. God, I chase after more, thinking that it will satisfy the unrest in my soul. And you say it won't, but I continually chase after it anyway. So you look at it, you speak it, you pray it before your God, and you ask God to give you new affections and new pursuits to chase after him. How do you guard against it? Is to see it, to own it, to pray about it, to confess it, and ask God to be at work in the middle of it. I promise you, God will meet you in that prayer. He will meet you there. So there's, there's this alluring pull, but also there's the, the deceptive promise of abundance, right? So what is the parable that Jesus gives to these people? So he's talking about greed, talking about coveting, wanting more and more. So here's this, this guy, uh, a land, he's a rich man, and it's produced, his land is produced plentifully, and he's got more and more grain, more and more crops, so what does he think? Well, I can't fit all this stuff, Uh, obviously I should keep it all, Uh, so I need to tear down my barns and build more and bigger barns so I have space to fill uh, and to put my crops. You you see it if you look back at verses 16 to 18. My barns, my grain, my goods— and it was a plentiful provision. What's wild is that it's kind of in passive voice for the rich man. The land produced plentifully. It wasn't that he went out and, you know, knocked it out and was working hard. The land produced plentifully, uh, and he has all these things. And so there's this sense of, all right, I've got abundance. Now, here's the thing. You read the scriptures, there are a lot of people that have a lot of stuff in, in the Bible. Abraham was one of them. King David was another. It's not that abundance is our problem. It's how do we relate to abundance that God provides? And how do we navigate what it is to do with it? 
So what does abundance promise to us? Well, Jesus says it in verse 19. Uh, And I will say, this is the man, I will say to my soul, after he's built all these buildings and, and bigger barns, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. So what does abundance promise to us? So these are the words that Jesus puts in this man's uh, in this man's mouth, and so obviously this is a fictitious character. It's a parable. So what, is, what does abundance promise us? Well, what you see is a life of self-sufficiency. You don't need anybody. You don't need anything. You, you can do it all on your own. You have got this. So in your abundance, the promise of abundance, so I'd say deceptive promise, is that you don't need anybody. You can do it all on your own because you can buy whatever you want. You can buy anything that you need. You don't need anybody else. The lie, the deceptive promise of self-sufficiency. It also promises the idea of the good life, right? Eat, drink, and be merry. Now, that sounds like the kind of modern version of the American dream. Not the original idea that everyone would have equal opportunity to thrive in our country, that version of the American dream, you know, but the, what it's become, that this was, uh, this was in one of the online dictionaries, it's a happy way of living with good jobs, a nice house, two children, and plenty of money. That American dream, Jesus says... Well, our abundance promises that. We think it does. And we think that's what life is about. So it promises self-sufficiency. It promises the good life. It also promises the life of ease and relaxation. So we have a concept in culture, uh, and that's retirement. And uh, obviously where you might not have to uh, work anymore. And it's it, it, what sometimes is about relaxing what encourages me uh, oftentimes about God's people when they hit that time where they're not uh, in a career, their they're kind of life's career any, any longer, uh, where our culture says, now it's your turn, indulge. Instead of, uh, instead of just only pursuing their own pleasure and their own ease, they look for ways to seek the kingdom of God. In times of retirement or empty nest, our culture says, relax, enjoy, and indulge. Well, that's what you worked for, was so that you could spend all your days on you. That's what it was about, right? But instead of using your newfound time merely on yourself, what kingdom opportunities might God be laying in front of you? So Larry and Karen are going, they're moving, they're going to be downstairs of their grandchildren, okay? That is a kingdom opportunity to pour into and to uh, invest in their grandkids and to disciple them and point them to the Lord. What other kingdom opportunities might God be raising up to seek first his kingdom? In Matthew, seek first his kingdom shows up in the Sermon on the Mount. In Luke, it shows up right after our passage, So Jesus teaches on the rich fool. The very next passage is the don't be anxious about anything. And it concludes, instead instead of seeking after all these things, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things 
will be added to you. That troubling trend that I have watched in this church and in many others is that families are invested in the kingdom of God when their kids are in elementary, middle school, and high school. As they leave for college, a touch less intentional about God's work. Now, I've totally stepped into meddling, so sorry. Uh, But when families are on their, when when kids are on their own, married, out of the house, self-sufficient, it's quite common, it's quite common for those couples to drift into detachment and disengagement with God's people and oftentimes disappear from the fellowship of God's people entirely. And if you run that through your mind, there are, there are probably families that you've seen that occur with. And rather than point a finger, say, God, would you free me from that, the overindulgence of myself? God, would you use me for the kingdom Instead, with all that time and less responsibility, rather than checking out what kingdom opportunities would you be involved with? Another way to ask a very probing question is, did you only care about the kingdom of God for your kids? Because the promise of, the promise of wealth and abundance is deceptive. Because we think we can be self-sufficient, we think it will give us the good life we want, even we can insulate our lives from harm. You know, if I have enough stuff, I won't suffer. And what does Jesus say that God's response is? Look at the first word of verse, uh, that, that, that God said to him in verse 20. Fool. Fool. From Proverbs, we studied that at the beginning of last year. You know, uh, a fool knows the truth, yet you chase after the lie. In a sense, the fool thinks he knows better. Uh, And and so in this sense of abundance, um, there's a book that's been out for now, man, more than 15 years. It's called The Price of Privilege. I've used it and quoted it numerous times. Um, it's, not a, it's not a Christian book. It's, it's a book of an author and a, um, uh, and, a, and a researcher looking at our culture here in, the, in America. And it was Madeline Levine is her name that, who wrote it. She said her teenage patients from affluent households, we think affluence frees us from harm, but her teenage patients from affluent households with the ones with excellent grades and lots of ex- extracurricular uh, involvement and the appearance of thriving on the outside, they're the ones that have debilitating levels of anxiety, depression, drug addiction, anorexia, and self-harm. Do you see the disconnect? We think abundance solves our problems, and I think social, just the researchers in our day are saying they might actually cause them. And Jesus is saying, life doesn't consist in your abundance. It's a deceptive promise. And then we get to the fleeting nature of abundance. So he says, uh, this man, this rich man, I have ample goods for many years. But God said to him, there it is, fool. This night your soul is required of you. In the things you have prepared, whose will they be? 
What happens to this guy? He builds for years and years and years, and he, and he accumulates, and he, and he has all of his stuff, and then he's going to enjoy it. But that night, the Lord takes, uh, basically, uh, that is the last night of his life. This night, your soul is required of you. Death is really a sobering reality in how we live. It ought to change how we view life. If you are just building up abundance so that you may eat, drink, be merry, and relax, who knows if you have truly been given that next day. So you know, um, my, my dad passed away in 2011, uh, and he, you know, he was one, kind of one of those guys that was never sick a day in his life, and, and he got diagnosed with cancer uh, and was in glory inside of about six months. Well, his best friend had worked for U.S. Air for like five decades at that point. Uh, he had been with U.S. Air for truly 50 years. And he had, had plans to live for more and to work for even more years to kind of build up the nest egg and do all these things. But my, one of my dad's best friends watched what happened to him And after my dad's funeral, his friend Bill turned in his resignation a month later and said, you know what, I'm not afforded another day. And he said, I don't need more abundance. He retired, he went and he moved to be with his grandkids. He said, you know what, I don't need more money. I need to invest where God has placed in front of me. You and I are not guaranteed tomorrow. In, God, in God's plan and God's goodness, he has numbered our days. He knows, but we don't. And that ought to sober us, because if we're just only thinking about building our abundance so that we can have limitless pleasure, God might not give you those days. So really, where are you investing Where are you investing? Jesus says this, so is the one, basically the one, uh, you know, where will all these things be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. What I love about that phrase is it's not Jesus saying, you ought not have stuff, but you ought to have stuff towards God. That the abundance that God graciously gives as your land produces, as your, your uh, abilities produce, he is saying, be rich towards me with your money, with your stuff, with your abundance. It, it is not propping yourself up. It is being used for God and his glory. Because what's really interesting is what Jim Elliot says. Jim Elliot was a missionary who actually was martyred on the mission field. And he said this, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep, meaning your wealth and your abundance and the things that you can't take uh, beyond this life. That he gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And what can you not lose is, is a relationship with the eternal God that you would have a place in his presence for eternity. 
Because what Jesus is speaking to is coveting and greed and, and all of that, but he's also just putting an, uh, an idea of things that we trust in other than, other than him to prop our life up. And if you're saying, you know what, I do that. And I've propped myself up on my ability, my success, my wealth, my possessions. If, if that is what you have lived for, Jesus is saying it is a house of cards that will crumble. Life does not consist in that. And then you're saying, if, I, if there's no life there, then I have no foundation. Where life is found is that you would turn from that and turn to resting and trusting in Christ. The thing that you cannot lose is the living God who endures beyond your life and mine. If you don't know him by faith, if you are establishing or have established your life on your abundance, the good news is that God actually reveals to you that that is rubbish and that there is a foundation for your life that can and does endure. If you know Christ, I think we'll still battle with the idea of greed and coveting, that it's the, the idols of our hearts start to pop up again and we can come turn back to him. But if you don't know the Lord, today is the day of salvation. It's the offer of the gospel. Come to me, trust in me, and I will give you life. Let's pray. Father, I pray that uh, you would do uh, just really amazing work in our hearts. God, as I know my own heart wants more and more stuff, and I feel like the more stuff I have, the more wealth, the more security, my heart says my life will be better because of it. God, thank you for just the, the very simple truth that life does not consist of those things. So, Father, help us to see the ways that we're pursuing more things or more influence or more of something that we think we need. God, humble us there, but also, Father, bring us to real life that knows you, that trusts you, uh, that lives uh, trusting your hand of provision rather than what we have to chase after. God, I ask that you would just work in us. Would you draw people to yourself? Father, I pray for those who have never trusted in Christ. God, that have chased after all sorts of things of this world. God, help them to see the beauty and the promise of the gospel, that it is so freeing for people that have chased after so many other things. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.